0: All right, um, we are going to be in Psalm 103 this morning, so if you have your Bibles or want to follow along on your phone or whatever you got, um, that's where we'll be. So let me read, I'm going to read the entirety of the passage um, just because I think there's power in the um, the spoken Word of God, and <clears throat> and then I will, I'm obviously I'm going to preach on 22 verses, um, so I'll just just. Kind of highlight the last or uh, the middle chunk there, uh, but I want to give a context for the whole thing. So, all right. So here now, the word of the Lord, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, His days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O O you, His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places, of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let me pray. Lord, in the coming moments, I pray that you would speak from your word to your people. Um, Bless, help us to bless the Lord from the bottoms of our hearts, deep in our souls. Father, give us a, a profound understanding of how compassionate you are toward us how much you are filled with loyal love, steadfast love toward your saints. And Father, I pray that the the response of our hearts would be to revere you, to fear you above all else, to be known as a community of God-fears, and also to do your word, to obey your commandments. Father, this is only made possible because of the radical generosity that you've poured out on us through Christ Jesus our Lord. That he is the answer to this promise. That he is the most perfect representation of your covenant love for your covenant people. Fill us with your spirit now, we pray. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, um, you know, we've been in the Psalms uh, this summer, and uh, we've actually been in the Psalms in our church, too, in Richmond. And <clears throat> the Psalms are, uh, are obviously, you know, a, a, to be sung. And so it was beautiful that we got to sing uh, a, a song that was really written after this, this uh, Psalm 103, um, here at the beginning of the service. And they're, they're poetic. Um, they have repetition. And so a lot of times when you're wanting to study a psalm, uh, you want to look for what themes are in this psalm and how do those themes fit with the rest of the, the, the themes uh, of the psalms. And so one, like a psalm uh, guide for dummies, you know, you get those books, uh, you know, rock climbing for dummies or, uh, um, you know, word Excel for dummies. You know, you, this is I'm going to give you like an Excel or a, a, a psalm for dummies uh, guide here. So a lot of times when you're reading the Psalms, they begin with this, some sort of plea or uh, a, uh, a theme that they're really seeking to, to hold up. That's the first few verses are usually something like that. And then a lot of times it goes to this, but this is how I feel. And then the last part of the Psalm usually is a return to that original theme, but I know this to be true. Um, this is a psalm of thanksgiving and praise. So the 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 middle of it really isn't this like uh, psalm of lament, or it's he's he's really reminding himself of the truth. And so he says there, "Bless the Lord, O my soul." That's the first verse, and it ends with "Bless the Lord, O my soul." That's the bookends of this psalm. And he's the first five verses are really just this this. The psalmist asking to change his own heart, his own soul. Give me this understanding of the, the, the depths of your love. And he's pleading that, that the Lord would change his, his mind, like give him this, this uh, rich understanding. And then the middle part of it really is the, the answer to why. Why would he, this, this faith well up in him as a psalmist? And so we'll we'll focus a lot of our time. There's this is a gold mine. Like this this passage is full of good stuff, and <clears throat> you could do a whole. I, I thought actually for our church, doing a whole cer- summer on this this psalm, because it's just full of of beautiful truths from the gospel. But <clears throat> I want to focus on just a few things, and really mainly uh, one or two ideas um, on what this psalm is really trying to communicate. So you have this, as I've said, bless the Lord, O my soul, that's repeated. Um, I think it's, let's see here, three times, bless the Lord, O my soul, and then bless the Lord is repeated six times. But then you've got this theme of steadfast love and compassion. And I think that's really where we'll spend a lot of our time uh, today. So if you like to, to take notes, if you're an outline person, I'm going to roughly cover <clears throat> the extent of God's covenant faithfulness in verses 8 through 13, the extent of God's covenant faithfulness. Um, v- verse 14 through 16 really show our, our finitude or our finiteness, um, how, how brief life really is. Um, verse 14 through 16. And then the last... Uh, thing we'll talk about is the result of God's covenant faithfulness in verse 17 through 18. So beginning there in, in verse 8, but really this, this idea is all throughout the psalm. Verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. <clears throat> that formula that, that in, is in verse 8 is all over the Scriptures, uh, especially the Old Testament. It's most clearly seen in Exodus, if you have your Bibles and want to flip there. Exodus 34, verse 6 yeah, six and 7. <clears throat> the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, this is to Moses, okay? So he's, he's passing by the Lord and he's uh, by Moses and he's telling Moses who he is. He says... The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will no by means clear the guilty. It's referring to that this is one of my the commentators I was reading said that this was the central confession passage for the Old Testament. This same, these these Four things: merciful, gracious, slow to anger, steadfast love. That's found in Nehemiah nine seventeen and, th- and verse thirty one, Psalm eighty six verse fifteen, Jonah four two, Joel two thirteen. It's all over the scriptures. Um, this is the and in, and in verse four we didn't read that we read this one out loud. But who redeems us from the pit? Who crowns us with steadfast love and mercy? Um, that's what we're crowned with. And so the, the word translated mercy there is, is really probably, it's the same word used throughout the psalm. So if you're reading this in Hebrew, you're seeing the repetition. But in the, the English, it's translated mercy, but it's also translated compassion. So the same word is used in verse 4. It says, crowns us with mercy. Verse 8 says that he is merciful. And verse 13, it says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That's the same word in Hebrew uh, all four times. And it's, it's basically, it's, what it's saying is that God's compassionate character is the thing that moves him toward this steadfast love for his people. Um, the word steadfast love uh, is used 286 times in the Old Testament. It is clearly a theme of the Old Testament, but it's really a major theme for the Psalms. In this psalm alone, it's used four times. Verse 4, 8, 11, and 17. It represents, a lot of translators will say this is loyal love. It's God's commitment to His covenant with His people, His loyalty. He is unwavering uh, in His devotion to them. It represents this unfailing kindness and generosity. Uh, the best way we can call it is steadfast love, just a, a person who is, is continuing to pursue the, the object of their love. But this word steadfast love is also used in Psalm 51 when David says, Have mercy on me, and he says, According to your steadfast love. It's the thing that he appeals to when he is at, a po- at the lowest point and he's saying, have mercy on me, forgive me, according to your steadfast love. That word is hesed, or chesed maybe, um, if you like to do gutturals. And it is, <laughs> uh, it is this act of promise-keeping loyalty that's motivated by deep personal care, Second, the second commandment, I don't know if you've ever noticed this about the, the Ten Commandments. There's a couple commandments that he goes, that, that there's a little bit more detail that's involved. If you flip there in Exodus 20, it's very similar to Exodus 34. On, in the, the second commandment, he says this You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on, in earth beneath. Or that is in the water uh, under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord, I, the, I am, I the Lord, am, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, on the, the children, to the third and fourth generation or, of those who hate me. And then verse six, "But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. How much does that sound just like the passage we're in? It's interesting there when he says that he is going to visit the iniquity of the fathers on the third and fourth generation for those who hate me. There is a real consequence for our sin. And it, what, according to the, the scriptures, our sin splatters. It affects other people. Other people are impacted by our sin. And according to this passage, it visits the third and the fourth generation. But, it's a big but, showing steadfast, I didn't mean for that to be a joke. Some really, some really corny pastors do that. (laughs) I didn't mean that. (laughs) Um, But showing steadfast love to thousands. That word thousands can also mean the thousandth generation. You see what's going on there? There. He's saying, Your sin is going to have an effect on the next generations, to the third and fourth generations. There's a real consequence for your sin, but my steadfast love is going to go out to thousands of generations. It's so much greater than what your sin is able to accomplish in, in destruction. My steadfast love is greater than that. It's, it's everywhere in the scriptures. What's really cool, and I, I thought, I had a hunch that this might be the, tr- the case, and then I figured it out, and I was like, this is awesome. This is really dope. So there is a, uh, we have a, a translation. So the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, New Testament's written in Greek. Well, what's cool is that the, the, um, in Greek, we have a translation of the Old Testament. So people are writing to Greek-speaking folks, and they said, well, we're going to translate this stuff into Greek, what they did is that is we have that now. And so you can look and see how did the Greek speaking world translate Hesed? And it's the same word that's used in Ephesians 2 4. Flip there now. Where's Ephesians? I don't I can't find it. I'm kidding. Uh, Ephesians 2.4 But God, being rich in mercy. That word rich in mercy that we've translated to be mercy is hesed. It's the same word for steadfast love. But God, being rich, being loyally faithful, being committed to His covenant, being nothing that can change the way that He loves His people. Because of the great love, love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." The same word that's translated here, mercy, is hesed. That's so cool. He is committed to his covenant. He is absolutely committed to the loyal love that he has. He's moved with compassion toward his people. He's committed to his covenant with us. I thought about Genesis 15. I promise we're not going to spend the whole time on this, but Genesis, Genesis 15 is Abraham's covenant, God's covenant with Abraham. He causes Abraham to, he says, Okay, Abraham, I want you to set up this, this, uh, these animals. So I want you to cut them in two, place one side of the animal on this side of the altar, the other side on this side of the altar. What that was, was it was almost like he was customarily drawing up a contract. Everyone in that culture would have known he's setting Abraham up for a contract. And what that contract would have been is the more powerful party is saying, Hey, I want you to commit yourself to me. I have, overco- like, I have taken over your people, whatever it is. I'm in a po- more powerful situation. I want you to pledge yourself to me, and I want you to walk through these pieces to me, thereby saying... I promise by my own life, may what has happened to these animals happen to me if I don't fulfill my side of the covenant, my side of the the transaction. You know what he does to Abraham? He has him fall asleep. And he goes between the pieces. This is, everyone reading this would have been absolutely floored. The more powerful party does not swear allegiance to the weaker party. But that's what God does. He swears by his own life that he will fulfill his covenant. That his steadfast love, his loyal love, his loyalty is never in question. You can take that to the bank because he will do what he says he's going to do. He is committed to the way that he loves his people. And so every time when we read this in in the Psalms, steadfast love, You can know that it's God's commitment. He's fully committed to this promise. And that's what he hangs his hat on in this this passage. That's what David hung his hat on when he pleaded for God's mercy in Psalm 51. Continuing in verse 9, that's the longest, that's that's like this is the big theme of this passage. And then I'll just kind of let this pour over you. Um, These are some wonderful truths. He will not always chide nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And then in verse 11 and 12, you see this infinite scope of His his love. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. How much more do we understand what He means by as far as the heavens are above the earth now? having a greater understanding of how huge our galaxy really is and how massive these stars are and how far away that we're seeing sometimes stars that have burned up, burned up years and years and years ago. That's how high, it's, he's saying it's infinite. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's an infinite amount. There's no trace left. It's been fully removed from east is from the west, it's going further and further apart. The more that time goes on, those, those distances become further and further apart. It's infinite in its scope. That's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. And We read those verses and we think, how, is, how can David say this? How can David possibly say this? That that's how far he's removed our transgressions? Don't the scriptures say there's, they're longing for someone to stand in the gap and to bridge the gap between humanity and, and God? Well, we know now on the other side of the cross that he was looking forward to Jesus. That Jesus is the, the mediator between God and man. He's the one who would remove our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. He's the one who would illustrate that God's love is so great that it's higher than the heavens are above the earth that it is completely and utterly infinite in our scope. But then he turns and he says, let me give you a, a picture of what this looks like. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. The Lord is, he draws on this idea of a a father who has compassion. Um, Children oftentimes don't know what they need. They don't know what they want. But a good parent can understand what's going on behind the emotion. It can understand what's going on at a deeper level. And it's because we've known our kids since they were babies. We've known them all the days of their life. That's the way God looks at us. As a father who tenderly says, I know, I understand what you're going through. I understand what you're going through. He has compassion to his children. And he knows our frame. He knows the way we were made. He remembers that we were dust, that we were made from the earth, uh, that we were dust. And then you get to our, the, the source of his compassion or the way that he sees us compassionately. In verse uh, 14 through 16, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. I think about the way we just described the word of the Lord. You know, we said the, all men are like grass, uh, flourishes like a flower of the field, the, the, uh, but the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I love the way this verse says its place knows it no more. How humbling is that to think, that in a hundred years, probably most of you all will be forgotten. It's pretty humbling. But I think that's what the scriptures are are telling us. In light of the infinite scope of who God is, how amazing he is, we are humbled. Our lives, even when we're in the peak of our lives, we're like flowering grass, But there will be a day when the wind blows over us and our place remembers us no more. I've probably shared this before here, but I'm going to go and share it again because it's so cool. Um, I was studying a guy named B.B. Warfield. Has anybody heard of B.B. Warfield? Maybe a couple. Okay, that's great. That's very illustrative of what I'm saying. Um, He is... Uh, was known as the, the theologian of his day in the English-speaking world. He was the last of the great Princeton the, theologians. Um, he was a defender of the, ortho, the authority of Scripture. And when people talked about his preaching, they said that his words proceeded from his lips as though they walked on velvet. Um, he died... Um, the, the Presbyterian, when he died, <clears throat> the Presbyterian Church described his loss as irreparable, described him as probably the most distinguished and learned theologian of the Reformed faith in our day. You know where he was born? Just right behind us. This place called Grasmere Farms. I looked it up. He said every biography said something like uh, near Lexington or close to Lexington. Well, there's actually a street just a few blocks from here. uh, I think it's called Warfield Place. And that's where he was born. Um... I think what's interesting about when you think about a guy like B.B. Warfield is he is when he passes away all this is said about him there's just like he's the best uh, probably the most distinguished theologian of, of his day and all this stuff and most of us probably have never heard of him or de- definitely don't remember that he lived right down the street. Um, there is a reality that we're all facing that life is short. Life is short. It will it the Bible talks about it as a mist as a vapor um, it's it's in James it talks about it being a vapor there's another psalm I was reading that said that it's just it's here today and gone tomorrow but the greatest part of this passage is that he turns from that idea of he he compassionately knows that we're we are small finite our glory is gone is here today and gone tomorrow but How we get remembered is the steadfast love of the Lord. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. It's the same phrase that's used in Psalm 90, uh, the oldest psalm that we have in the Psalter, um, a psalm of Moses, actually. This everlasting to everlasting, that our hope is in the steadfast love of the Lord. That when we are united to Christ, what He has done for us, we enter into that love that does not fail; it does not wither. The wind does not blow over it, and its place does not remember it no more. The name of Jesus will be remembered for eternity. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Um, that we enter into that, and all, and the the basically the the best application for this, I think, is found there in that verse 2, on those who fear him. That word fear is really, has a lot to do with reverence. But if you've ever been, if you've ever looked at a, a starry night, or you've ever stood right next to a mountain, or you've ever experienced something that just makes you very humble, the reality that we just read makes us very humble. But when we stare next to this, the greatness of God, the greatness of nature, whatever it is, we are brought to a point of deep re- reverence. That we stand in the presence of something that's much greater than ourselves. And that is really the only appropriate response to this, this truth of God's steadfast love. That, we are, that He is unwaveringly unwavering, committed to us and we can't be, be help but be awestruck. Uh, It's interesting, Neil Armstrong, whenever he um, went into space and he was flying above uh, the earth, uh, he has this really famous quote that says that he thought he would feel like a giant, like he would feel like a a really, really big man, like above it all. This is the first time that anyone has ever, ever even gazed upon the earth from that perspective. And he's, he's looking down on earth, and he says, I didn't feel really, really big. I felt really, really small. And that's what, what happens when we look and stare at the beauty of who God is, that we're struck with this understanding of how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. The audacity that he knows us, that he is merciful to us, He has no reason to be compassionate towards us, and yet He is. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And so we're filled with this fear. And there's this promise again that we read from from Exodus, and righteousness to children's children. That this, when we have been impacted in this way, the next generation will know, and the next generation will know. And what they will probably forget is your name but they will remember your legacy. Daniel Taylor says that the fragrance, our legacy is the fragrance of our life that exists when we are, not, we are no longer present. That's what legacy is. The fragrance of your life that exists when you are not, yourself are not present. All of us, when we are, are connected to Christ and what He's doing in this world, when we are committed to Him and our covenant to Him, uh, when we are deeply the recipient of this loyal love, we will have a fragrance and it will last into the, to the next generation and the next. Um, that's why we're talking about him in, in North America and not the Middle East. Isn't that amazing that we're part of this legacy too? Um, that we're, we are in another part of the country speaking a different language and it's because someone told this to the next generation and to the next. Um, and we, it will continue long after we're gone. To, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. That obedience is the response to this fear that we have. And it's not a fearful obedience like, oh, I'm so scared about the consequences of what if I didn't do this. It's, I've been awestruck by the beauty of this love that he's poured out for me. And I'm going to obey him because I don't, I don't know why there would be any reason why I would not. He is so good to me, His love is so loyal, and I'm filled with this this beauty. I've been been enraptured by this beauty of the Lord, and I want to do His commandments. And so that's what I think the the biggest, um, probably, takeaway from this, this psalm is that God is compassionate toward us. He looks upon us and sees our helpless estate. Just like Jesus looked upon the crowds and saw them as, as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He looks upon us with compassion. And he remembers his steadfast love, that he is committed to a covenant relationship with us. He will not fail to, to accomplish uh, what he said he will accomplish. And that our only appropriate response is to be uh, enraptured by that beauty. To, to respond with reverent fear that leads us to obedience, the only way this is made possible is because of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us on the cross, that he was filled with compassion, that he was the, the answer to God's steadfast love, and that he filled his people with fear they 're in the boat with him and he calms the storm and they and they say uh, oh my gosh, this is scary. Who is in the boat with me? And they're moved to obedience. The disciples gave their, the early disciples of Jesus gave their life because they believed this to be true. They were so uh, convinced in their own minds. And that's one of the greatest apologetics for the church is that the people that were closest to Jesus believed this so much to be true, so much so that they'd give their own life for it. Um, and so how do we respond in light of, of that? I think that we are to look upon the beauty of the Lord. Spending time in the Psalms is going to help lift our eyes from the, 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 the finiteness of this world. How we are but here today and gone tomorrow. Looking at the Psalms, something greater than ourselves, is the way to do that. And I think also looking at our, the... the finality of our life. Um, this is a, is, is a young congregation with a lot, I think, when I look at this congregation, I think a lot of young grass that's growing up and is in the peak of their life, the glory of their, their life. But we have to remember that the wind will blow over us and our place will remember us no more. We will e- easily be forgotten. And that's not a depressing thought. That's not a thought that leads us down a, a, a path of, like, uh, shame or Uh, self-condemnation, it's a path that leads us to a much greater beauty of Jesus. Of what God, how God is committed to His love, His loyal love for His people. And that that would move us to obey His commandments. As only Christ can can make it possible for us to do. Let me pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word this morning. Thank You that You looked upon us with compassion. And it moved you to a remembrance of your steadfast love for us, your loyal, unwavering, committed love for us. Thank you that you sent Jesus as a representation of that steadfast love, that you remembered your covenant with Abraham and with Moses and all the covenants. And you sent Jesus and and instituted a new covenant. And we get to partake of that new covenant right now in the Lord's Supper. We get to eat and drink and be nourished spiritually by that promise that you made us, by this sacrament, this reminder that you are faithful, that you look upon us and you see our helpless estate. You remember that we are dust. You know our frame. And yet you're filled with with compassion and mercy and steadfast love for us. Father, help us to be a people that would pass this faith on to the next generation and the next. And that we would leave a legacy here. That we may be gone, our names may be forgotten. But at the end of the day, the faith that we have, what we've connected ourselves to in Jesus, will be long remembered. And that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. It's in His name we pray. Amen.